Hi everyone, welcome back to Ortho Radio. I'm your host, Nick Bertha. I hope you all enjoyed our last Fracture Series episode involving proximal humerus fractures. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, you can check it out on either iTunes or Spotify. Uh, today we'll be doing our next of our Fracture Series, and we'll be talking about rotational ankle fractures, or kind of the classic ankle fracture that most people think of. So when we talk about these fractures, they typically happen in a very specific fashion that allows us to a classify them into a specific classification system called the log Hansen classification. And it's based on both the forces that are occurring at the ankle and the position of the foot at the time of the injury. So those two things play into how the actual mechanism of injury actually occurs and it also indicates what kind of fracture pattern we actually expect to see. So in general, the forces that we typically see are either an adduction force, or the foot being forcibly moved inward. There's external rotation, or the foot rotating outward, or abduction, where the foot is forcibly pushed outward. And then in general, as far as the positions the foot can be either be in, it can be in either one of two positions, either in supination or in pronation. I think the best way that I can describe this is kind of supination being essentially turning of the entire foot and ankle inward and pronation is essentially doing the opposite and turning everything outward and upward. So these make up certain classifications and there's four broad categories that these ankle fractures fit, fit into when you have them. So there's the supination adduction. There's supination, external rotation, there's pronation, external rotation, and there's pronation, abduction. There are times that we have other ankle fractures that can occur. These are typically called pilon injuries, but they're a little bit of a different animal. They're a different force that really causes them. It's usually more of an axial loading that causes those, and they tend to be a little bit more of a severe injury as opposed to uh, these kind of rotational ankle fractures, uh, which can happen more in kind of your lower velocity mechanisms. There's some other subdivisions to these classifications, but for the purposes of our talk, that's not really critical for the discussion, but it can help guide kind of some of the fixation methods and so on and so forth. So when we talk about having these specific forces and these positioning of the foot that leads to these fracture patterns, there are essentially three different areas of the ankle that can be affected most commonly. There's the medial malleolus, um, which is essentially the bony prominence on the inside of your ankle. There's the lateral malleolus, which is the bony prominence on the outside of your ankle. And then there's the posterior uh, malleolus. Uh, and that's in the back of the tibia. That one is not exactly palpable or really easily seen when looking just at your ankle, but is very visual on the x-rays. And the importance of these fragments and the, the reason that these fragments specifically occur when you have these fractures is because they're related to where the forces get pushed on in the ankle and the ligamentous attachments to these areas. So specifically, the medial malleolus is intricately related to the deltoid ligament, whereas the lateral malleolus is in connection to the anterior talofibular ligament as well as the calcaneofibular ligament. 
And the posterior malleolus is involved in the posterior talofibrillar ligament as well as the syndesmotic ligaments being the anterior inferior tibiofibular ligament, the posterior inferior tibiofibular ligament, the interosseous membrane, and the interosseous ligament. So these all affect into the stability of your ankle. And that's the reason why when you have these ankle fractures and we see the x-rays and we see what's going on, it helps guide what we need to do and what needs fixed. If you have this kind of injury and you have pain at your ankle when you come to the emergency department, uh, always the first thing we're going to do is talk to you, figure out what exactly happened and what the mechanism of this was that's going to kind of help guide us as to what we expect the injury pattern is going to be and what we need to do as well as making sure that clinically on exam that you have your neurovascular structures intact and that your skin is intact so when i talk about neurovascular structures i mean the nerves and the blood vessels that go down and supply your foot we want to make sure that those haven't been injured uh, in the injury. The other thing we want to make sure is that your skin is intact because if your skin has been disrupted or it looks like the fracture displacement is causing pushing on the skin, that's something we need to urgently get back in place so you don't get breakdown of the skin. If there's breakdown of the skin or it's an open injury, those are things that we definitely need to wash out and clean thoroughly so that we can figure out what we need to do for the next step. So, once we've kind of assessed clinically what's going on, the next thing that we always do is we have to get the ankle reduced back to uh, where it is. So once we've obtained the x-rays and we've seen exactly what's happening in the fracture pattern, um, we'll do some sort of pain control management to allow us to be able to get the ankle back in place. So sometimes what we'll do is called a hematoma block where we use a needle and we inject some lidocaine into the ankle itself, and that provides some pain medication and numbing in that area to allow it to be less painful. Sometimes other places they'll do uh, actual conscious sedation where they kind of put you in like a twilight state of sleep to allow us to be able to reduce the ankle. So once we push it back and get it back into the position that we want it to, we put on a splint and we push that splint into a very specific mold so that we can hold the fracture in place. This allows to ease any sort of stretching injury to either nerves or blood vessels and it ensures that the skin is being safe and that we're not having any compromise uh, of our skin surface. This is also going to help reduce having increased swelling further past this point because we don't want to keep your ankle dislocated. That's going to cause more trauma to the surrounding tissues and more swelling. You're still going to get swelling after the injury, but we want to try to minimize that as much as possible. So we'll, after we reduce your ankle, we'll put you up get your leg elevated and hopefully get some ice on it so that we can try to reduce as much swelling that's going to happen after the injury as possible so that we can kind of make a determination as to what we want to do next. Every once in a while, there are some ankle injuries that don't need to be actually reduced. Everything is non-displaced. Sometimes when we have those scenarios, we still have to do what we call a stress view of your ankle to see if the ankle is actually stable. So actually kind of hold your foot in a certain position and then forcibly move it outwards to see if the ligaments are intact. And if the ligaments are not intact, that's an indication that you may have disruption of both the inside and the outside of your ankle, making your ankle unstable, meaning that we would need to have things fixed so that you'd be able to get the function that you want out of your ankle. So a lot of these injuries do end up requiring surgery unless they're, like I said, non-displaced or they're not involving multiple of the malleoli. 
but we do recommend surgery for a large majority of these. Particularly in patients that have diabetes, it's very important to get these back in place and get things fixed because otherwise they tend to lose their reduction and lead to very severe ankle arthritis if they aren't fixed. After you've developed ankle arthritis, your ankle is going to get stiff. You're not going to get good function from it. It's going to be challenging to walk. Uh, and the procedures at that point are not as good as just fixing an ankle fracture. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But we can discuss that another time. At this point, depending on your current status, whether there's any other injuries that are occurring, how much swelling is at your ankle, if there's any other open injuries, we'll kind of decide what we can do at this point. And the biggest decision-making factor at this point is, do you need to be put in an X-fix or external fixator where we put the pins and bars down into uh, your leg there that stick out externally that allow reduction of the fracture to be held and allow the time for the swelling to go down to allow definitive fixation? Some ankle fractures do require that depending on the timing. A lot of them we can get to and we can fix pretty early on. And these typically require two to three incisions uh, more commonly than not. Some can be just one incision. But the fact of the matter is, is that we tend to have to address the component on the inside of your ankle as well as on the outside of your ankle. And then sometimes we also have to go posteriorly to obtain that posterior myeliolus piece we discussed earlier so that we can provide fixation to that as well. Sometimes only one side of these are fractured, and you can get away with having just one incision. But often, especially for fractures that meet operative criteria, there's multiple areas that are fractured. Intraoperatively, we will typically put in either some plates and screws or just some screws by themselves, depending on the location. And that'll be able to get these bones back reduced down to where we want them to and realign the articular surface or the, the joint surface so that we can try to reduce the complications down the road in developing arthritis, and we hopefully delay some of that arthritic changes. Intraoperatively, once we're satisfied that we've obtained the reduction that we want and that everything is back as close as we can anatomically get it, we then take a look at what's called the syndesmosis, which is essentially the ligaments that go between your tibia and your fibula, and that area, which is, you know, classically described as kind of your high ankle sprain location, can be unstable still. So if that area is still unstable, we can either do one of two things. We can either put uh, some screws that go through both the fibula and tibia to provide some fixation to allow that area to heal. Or we can put across, it's typically referred to as a tightrope, or using a suture that goes across the fibula and the tibia to help support that area and prevent it from gapping open. We want to keep that gap from opening so that it allows time for those ligaments to heal and obviously time for your bones to heal. So typically, postoperatively, you're going to be non-weight-bearing for at least some period of time. Now, I leave that somewhat vague because there is some varying and new trends for this. Classically, we would have people non-weight-bear for at least six weeks. In people that have neuropathy or there's indications that the fracture is not totally healed yet, we will keep you non-weight-bearing for up to 12 weeks to allow time for these to adequately heal. Um, but there is a new growing trend 
of having people just be non-weight bearing for two weeks or, you know, kind of minimal weight bearing just for two weeks. And then at that point, allowing people to start to bear some weight. So this is uh, somewhat surge independent and will continue to change over time. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where uh, that continues to lead to. But there will be a period usually where we're not going to allow you to bear weight. Eventually, once the fracture starts to heal and the pain starts to recede, we'll allow you to start getting some more weight bearing done at that point. The other thing that's important to note is that most commonly, we end up putting folks into splints after this surgery. So you're not going to really going to be able to do a lot of range of motion with your ankle. But at some point, we'll take that splint off and we'll have you start kind of working on doing range of motion exercises with your ankle because it's going to be stiff since you're going to have be stuck in that position for a period of time. One of the things we often tell patients is that they can work on writing the ABCs with their ankle. And essentially kind of just try to visualize your, your toes as kind of a pen point and kind of utilizing your ankle to make the letter. Uh, and that helps you get through a lot of the different motions that the ankle can do and allows to try to prevent some of that stiffness from worsening. The other thing that I think is really important to note for patients that we fixed ankle fractures in, we essentially ubiquitously send these patients out on some sort of blood thinning medication for a few weeks. Uh, and the reason we do this is, is because, A, you've had a, a trauma, which puts you at a higher risk of having a blood clot. And then you're not walking because we've limited your weight bearing and you're much more stationary than you would have been otherwise. And that all those things between the trauma and the lack of mobility are going to put you at a higher risk of having a blood clot that forms. So we want to try our best to prevent that. This is still something that can happen. So, you know, we always tell patients, you know, if you experience any sort of symptoms of blood clots, um, whether it's in your leg or in your lungs, you know, definitely to let your provider know so that you can be evaluated. The other thing that's important with these is the area around the ankle. Sometimes these incisions have some challenges healing. So we like to keep a close eye on them and make sure that everything is healing up and that you're not having any breakdown of the wounds. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that and make sure things continue to heal. As far as kind of the long-term outcomes of these, a lot of patients do very well. You're definitely at a higher risk of having uh, arthritis of your ankle, um, given the prior trauma of your ankle. But like I said, we try to keep that as a minimal risk as possible by getting the best reduction that we can back on it. We tell patients all the time, the hardware that you have that we put in place does not need to come out at any point. All these things we can put in and we can leave there forever as long as they're not causing a problem. Some folks will notice that sometimes the hardware is fairly prominent down by the ankle where there's not a lot of soft tissue overlying it and they can be fairly palpable and may need to be addressed. If that's the case or it's causing you some pain and discomfort, we can always take those out down the road once things have totally healed. The other thing that we talk about is if we do have to fix the syndesmosis and we put that screw across from the fibula to the tibia, that's a rigid construct in an area that has movement. As you can imagine, as you have more movement that goes through there as you start walking and doing all your normal activities again, it really stresses those rigid screws going across the two bones. And sometimes those screws will actually break. If they do break, it's not of really any consequence. It's Some people will actually just leave the screws in and just allow them to break and never do anything about it. 
Some people will have you intentionally come back and remove the screws at a certain point. So you can try to avoid them breaking. And then, like I said, if you have the suture button that's in place, you never have to remove that. That can just stay where you want it to because that suture has a little bit more of a give to it that allows a little bit more motion uh, in place that the screws cannot have given their rigid metal structure. So that's another facet of this kind of the hardware removal aspect of this. But uh, as I said, most patients uh, end up going on once things are all healed to be able to get back to a lot of the activities that they'd like to do and can live their own the rest of their lives uh, doing pretty well. That's all I have for you for today for ankle fractures. I hope this provides you a little bit more insight in case you do have one of these injuries or you know someone that has sustained an ankle fracture. Otherwise, please continue to listen to us uh, here at Ortho Radio. Really appreciate you tuning in and listening to our episodes. As always, please feel free to send us any feedback that you'd like. We look forward to having you back for our next episode. Thanks.